What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's Jaw Rats, of course. We've got Jays, we've got them for days. Josh, how you doing? Well, back in 2020, you told me you wanted the equivalent of the Denver Nuggets in MLS. I gave you the Columbus crew, and then the Nuggets became the best team in basketball, and the crew proceeded to arguably be the best team in MLS twice and now have two trophies to show for it. It really is one of the more impressive pieces of analysis I've unintentionally ever given, but it's right up there with the best stuff I've ever done. Yeah, got to be. It's right up there with <laughs> Frank Mason, Natty Poy. It's, it's got to be up there with right. Frank Mason, Natty Poy. Right. We're putting it on our Hall of Fame or on Mount Rushmore. There you go. Columbus Crew to the last four, the Nuggets, the defending world champs. And if you told me they won three of the next five, I would not be all that surprised. So we went from a team that was probably a few steps away on both occasions to a team that, for one reason or another, are very well positioned in terms of, of kind of defining either the last four or five years of one league or potentially the next five years of, of another. So... Either way, I I was in before they won a championship, and that's all that matters <laughs> because I think I'm safe either way, um, regardless of if they were able to win one shortly after I joined the party or or not. But it was it is pretty entertaining that not only did you give me a team that you thought was the correct description, they both ascended basically at the same time. And they turned into what you didn't want. Exactly. Effectively. The Nuggets just got too good and then the crew matched the Nuggets. Very yeah, very strange things. It at least it's though. not it, it's at least it's not like I will never call anybody who's a Denver Nuggets fan a bandwagon. No, like, no, definitely never. not. Yeah. At oh, least no, no, it's no, not no, the, no. the at least you didn't say, hey, the Knicks or right. hey, the Lakers. Like those two things, you're not gonna get out of bandwagon fan no matter what. Right. The Nuggets. I, I think we can. I think we can make it work. Yeah. No, no, no. We don't do bandwagon fanning. Nope. Josh, we are a little over a month into the college basketball season. A month and five days or so. We are in the the darkest week of the entire college basketball season, where all of the fun non conference games have come to a screeching halt, except for Saturday. Saturday should be really fun. But we, for the most part, in the middle of the week for this particular week, we kind of run out of of really fun games. And it's kind of a pause before we jump headfirst into conference schedules. We're about a week away from kind of the beginning of those things for, for a lot of different conferences. So it's a great time to kind of take a step back from the daily pods and look at the the power six conferences, the big six conferences as a whole, and kind of reevaluate where uh, how some of the things that we predicted, talked about preseason, uh, have kind of come to fruition or not come to fruition, uh, and kind of see where we went wrong and were led astray. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. Uh, you know, power five conferences and the Big East. And going to identify one thing that we've confirmed over the first month plus of the season, and then identify one thing that we were surprised by that is not playing out the way that we thought it would, and, and kind of uh, take a big look, an overarching look at the six conferences before we jump into conference play. Josh, any questions? Anything to add before we get into it? I'm calling it surprises and validation. Sure. I'm into that. I have no I have no qualms with calling it surprises and validations. Would you like to go in alphabetical order or would you like to go in order of the current Kempom conference rankings? Let's go alphabetical. Just stay with tradition. Yeah, traditionally. Though. Sure. Uh, traditionally, we go alphabetical. That's generally how our the structure of our uh preseason conference previews specifically so we'll we'll start there we'll we'll keep it we'll keep the status status quo 
and start alphabetical. And that will begin with the Atlantic Coast Conference. Ironically, the Atlantic Coast Conference is sixth among the power conferences, last uh, among uh, the power conferences at Kempom with a uh, net, uh, with a rating of 11.34 over a full rating point behind number five, which is the Pac-12. But starting with the ACC, Josh, uh, please a validation, something that you've confirmed over the first months or month or so of the season. Syracuse is at least interesting. Mm. I had I had a little bit of a difficult time coming up with this one, but I did say on our preview, there are worse places to start from a roster standpoint than where Adrian Autry is starting. Mm-hmm. They lost to Tennessee and Gonzaga and Hawaii, and they lost at Virginia. They beat LSU and Georgetown. Okay, not terrific wins, obviously. They have zero true marquee wins. But they've beaten all the teams they're supposed to. We just don't know what they look like against teams that aren't, you know, arguably top 10 in the country mm-hmm. and aren't worse than Syracuse. So it's this question of are they kind of a bubble team? Are they a bubble team or are they on the right side of the bubble? We don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. But we're in the we're in the spot I thought would be, which is this team is actually pretty good and they might do something this season, which is not something you would necessarily expect in this kind of transition from one of the staples of the sport where people are transferring all the time. The roster looks different, but this team has real talent. And I feel like that has been proven and verified so far. Yeah. I think it's going to be a team that I will agree with that statement for most of the season and they won't have any chance to make the tournament. Because they haven't been especially competitive against any of the good teams that right. they've played. And and maybe they'll do like a Clemson type thing from last year and kind of get hot early in ACC play and as a result be in the mix. Um, that wouldn't like totally stun me, but you know, they're they are they are for the most part convincing against some of and even you know the the in the ballpark of top one hundred or worse high major teams like they handled LSU 80 to 57. They handled Georgetown 80 to 68 um, on the road. So it might just be one of those things where they don't put together enough quality wins in the ACC to, to really knock on the door of the NCAA tournament. But we can also feel like we are in uh, moving in the right directions, um, you know, 118th at Kempom last year, they're 95th right now. They started at 105, so uh, have moved in the right direction, fell all the way to 127 after uh, what they did in Maui uh, against Tennessee and Gonzaga, kind of getting kind of getting handled in those two games, but back up inside the top 100. And, you know, of course, it's different. It's going to take some time, but I think you were right heading into the season that there are some intriguing names on that roster that, that I like at some point they're going to beat a team on a random Wednesday that they probably shouldn't beat because they are, they play really well on the right night. They're going to have to win a lot of ACC games. That is a fair point. They might be able to though. It's kind of what I'm getting at here that, you know, you do have some teams in the ACC like an LSU and a Georgetown and they've looked pretty convincing against them. The question is, can you hang with the Dukes? Can you hang with the North Carolinas of the world? Get a couple signature wins because, yeah, they, they don't have any right now. And they lost by 22 to yeah. the only ACC yeah. team they've played thus far. And that was right. and that was Virginia. So they haven't come close. Yeah, you're right. Um, I like that. I'm into that. I think the thing that's validated for me, and I kind of pondered this a little bit when we talked to Brendan Marks ahead of the season, but I think we're I think we're validated in the idea that the ACC is still searching for that. What does the next era of ACC basketball look like, and where can we get our elite? You know, can, will we ever find ourselves back into this spot of, of in the conversation for one of the t- one or two, two or three best conferences in America? Kind of that, kind of that classic ACC basketball feel. And into, coming into the season, it was, I thought it was unlikely that we'd find that this year, and that's that's pretty clearly the case. 
um, thus far, even the team that was supposed to be your your kind of elite banner team this year in Duke is has not played especially well. They've you know they lost their one and only ACC game thus far, but lose to an Arkansas team and that game gets worse and worse pretty much every time Arkansas steps on the floor. They have a win against Duke on their resume on December twelfth and weren't in Joe Lenardi's bracket as an SEC team that started as a top twenty five team on December 12th that's pretty that's pretty impressive to do so that team that was you know whether you know I don't really care about Duke carrying the ACC metrics wise but Duke clearly not the elite team we thought they were going to be and they have a lot of fine teams right they have a lot of just like like average to good high major basketball teams but I think we're still searching for that kind of vintage level of ACC and there isn't something I've seen thus far that suggests this is going to be the year that we kind of return to it. And while North Carolina is clearly very good and exponentially improved, nobody's out here thinking they're the best team in the country. Right. Duke was supposed to be the team with this kind of North Carolina coming in behind where you go, okay, now we're on to something with what Clemson's doing. Virginia's off to a decent start, then you might be talking. But having this North Carolina team have to carry the conference is not where you want to be if you're the ACC. Absolutely. What surprised you? <laughs> Didn't have to go too deep on this one. Duke, but specifically just that the players who were supposed to be much better haven't been. Mm. I mean, Tyrese Proctor's numbers are very, very similar. Filipowski's and Roaches are up a little bit, but it's we're not talking about five-point-a-game increases here, right? They haven't done the things that take Filipowski from an ACC Player of the Year candidate to a National Player of the Year candidate or Tyrese Proctor from a role player to an All-American candidate. Jared McCain is shooting 37.5% on two-pointers. His three-point shooting looks really good. He just is struggling to make anything outside of threes. And you only have six He's players. He's made more averaging. threes than twos this year. Yeah. You only have six players averaging more than 3.3 points per game. Partially because of limited minutes, limited opportunities. But I really thought we were going to get more improvement from the big three and more like seven or eight reliable contributors. And neither of those things have happened. Yeah, I am. This is the obvious place to go here. And it's not. You know, it's one thing to like, for example, I don't I don't think Kansas is the best team in the country, and I don't see anybody like fighting right now to declare Kansas the best team in the country. At least I haven't seen. But Kansas went from the best team in the country to still a team that kind of bouncing around the top five, you know, their top ten at Kempom. All of these things, like they're not really not like Duke is not as advertised. Right. Kansas, Kansas, lost to, Kansas lost to Purdue. Right. <laughs> and like there are some very real like Kansas is 32nd yes. offensively in Kimpom yes. and they started like third or something. So clearly there are some limitations there, but it's not resulting in them not even being in that conversation. Right. Um Duke is just kind of ejected from that conversation completely. And it's like, it's one thing to not be the number one team in the country when you're, you know, come in number one, AP poll preseason and you kind of end up bouncing around somewhere between three and seven or whatever. That's yep. not what ha has happened here at Duke. And the other thing here for me is I'm not totally sure what there is for me to believe that there's going to be this big renaissance for Duke this season. And it's not like there's this one thing that I feel like I can count on to flip in terms of a switch at some point and really change what the product on the floor is for Duke. Like it's pretty simple. Like these guys, like certain guys just need to play better and for them to be the team that they were supposed to be. And like, Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but the the answer is pretty clear what needs to happen for Duke, and I'm not totally sure it's going to happen. It's it's very surprising. 
Yeah, maybe the biggest surprise of the year so far. Absolutely. Uh, second, in alphabetical order, would be the Big Ten. Is that right? Is that how this usually goes? I think we do the numbers first. Okay. Well, then let's go to the Big Ten. The Big Ten, led by, in conference, by the way, the 2-0 Indiana Hoosiers. Did you see somebody got mad on Twitter at Joe Lenardi today because the automatic qualifier on his, you know, he he designates an automatic yeah. qualifier from each conference. And because Indiana was, even though Purdue was like a number one seed, yeah, the automatic qualifier was Indiana because it just defaults to whoever is at the top of the conference. Right. And right now, Indiana, because of schedule, is the only team to have played two conference games and win both of them. So they are technically the automatic qualifier. <laughs> but uh, so right now at the top of Kim Palm's conference rankings, Indiana, you'll see first, but that's the team 76 at Kim Palm. Of course, it's the Purdue Boilermakers, number three, nine and one overall with a loss to Northwestern. But pretty much as advertised, Zach Eady, absolutely. You know, Zach Eady is causing controversy. He's so good. Uh, apparently there are, <laughs> there are, uh, conspiracy theories about about the foul calls against Zach Eady. Um, not really, by the way. Um, Naturally. But uh, Boilermakers, as advertised, what ha- what else has been validated? Maybe it's that, but what else has been validated for you uh, out of the Big Ten? I, I think I said last season, Ohio State has good players. <laughs> They just weren't a good basketball team. Well, now they're a good basketball team. They're 27th in Kempom, 8 and 2. Not world beaters. It's not like they have, I mean, that Alabama loss isn't, or that Alabama win isn't getting any better at the moment. But this looks like a Chris Holtman team that is going to be a difficult out that's going to win a lot of Big Ten games. This, to me, looks like a team more reflective of the talent that is on that roster than whatever in the world happened last season. That was one of the most confusing things in the sport to me is why they were so bad. And I feel like they are proving me right in that. Shouts to the, shouts to the Buckeyes. What did you say, 27th at Kempom right now? Yes. 8-2. and two. Losses Texas A&M and then Penn State. Hopefully we go in a different direction than we went last year because this is a team that finished 16 and 19 last year, or darling of Kempom, by the way, a 16 and 19 team, 49 at Kempom, a Kempom darling. But this is a team that on December 29th was nine and three um, with close with a win over Cincinnati, a win over Texas Tech. Um, a close, a pretty close loss to Duke on the road, and they took North Carolina to overtime. Oh, they did play really well in that Duke game. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of fell off the rails and they started, you know, fine. They were two and zero in the Big Ten. And then they went on a five game losing streak. They only won one game between a win uh, at Northwestern on January 1st and a win at home against Illinois on February 26th. They won once in that stretch. A home win over Iowa. So you know, eerily, actually, like pretty similar. Um, they were uh, heading into that Northwestern game on New Year's Day. They were 13th at Kimpom. They're 27th right now. So hopefully that we can parlay this solid start with at least one respectable win uh, into into a better non-conference. Uh, sorry, Big Ten conference performance. Josh, life after Trace Jackson Davis is hard. And we have validated that life after Trace Jackson Davis is hard. Um, the Indian Hoosiers are seven and two. They've dropped from 50th to 76 at Kempom. They have like the fact, like I am truly surprised that they managed to get out of their first three games against FGCU army and Wright state without a loss. Like they tried really hard mm-hmm. in those first three games. They've gotten absolutely mopped by the two, two, the two good teams that they've played, Connecticut beat them 77 to 57. Auburn beat them 104 to 76. 
they are 2-0. They got to beat a Maryland team that's nowhere near as good as we thought they were going to be. And they beat a Michigan team on the road, 78-75. Just narrowly escaped a loss to Louisville, which is something that not many teams will be able to say this year that they narrowly escaped a loss. They will. Lots of teams will escape with a wide margin against Louisville this year. <laughs> Better believe that. Um, yeah, you know, they life is just hard. It's really hard when you're, you know, there's an influx of talent. Sure, Kellel Ware is still very much an NBA draft prospect. Um, Mackenzie Mbako, you know, we're working on it. Um, 21 of 21 from the free throw line, sure. Um, but, he, you know, he's off to a slow start. Um, there are still times that I don't totally feel like things make sense on the court for Indiana. Um, so life is just tough. Um, they're 334th in the country in three-point field goal percentage. And when you don't have Trace Jackson Davis, that's the kind of thing that needs to go up uh, for things to be easy offensively. And and they just haven't been. We'll see how they're, they, they play Kansas on Saturday. We'll see how that goes. Um, but ultimately, you know, Kim Palm hasn't projected to finish 17 and 14 and 9 and 11 in conference. Um not where you were hoping to be if you were the Hoosiers when they when they hired Mike Woodson after the 2020-21 season. Um, you just wish you that we had some more momentum than that. But life is hard without Trace Jackson Davis, and that's not something that you can quantify until you actually get on the floor against, against a different team. Yeah, and it's interesting to try and separate his impact from just the trajectory of the program. Because there were so many positive things happening from the dark place Indiana was in that it was easy to just look at it as general progress. Mm -hmm. And now the question is, okay, how much of that really was Trace Jackson Davis? And that just so happened to be one of the, and I don't, I have no idea actually. So nobody from Indiana actually jumped down my throat, but like one of the five best Indiana players, like of the last 30 years, if, if not, like we could talk program history, like there is like, he was very, very good. And that's very, definitely a, an interesting question. How much of that was he responsible for uh, relative to everything else that was going on at Bloomington? Right. And every game they play without him, we get to draw a, better conclusion there obviously we'll never know for sure because they were intertwined but mm. early indications are that he had a lot to do with it life is hard without trace jackson davis uh what have you been surprised by here honorable mention to maryland <laughs> I, even after the james madison loss i was convinced michigan state was going to be fine I was not surprised that Michigan State got off to a poor start. This is what happens when they play a bunch of tough games, and they're just not, for whatever reason, not ready at the beginning of the season. That's fine. Thomas has made a living out of it. He's earned his reputation out of it, off of it. They are 4-5 and five after two Big Ten games, 0-2 in conference, by the way that if they are serious about being good, they should have won. Wisconsin's a good basketball team. You should be beating them at home. Yeah. And you should be beating Nebraska. This is, I thought this was growing pains. It is not. And we've talked, we don't need to go in depth because we've talked about this multiple times before. Until something changes, they are just last season's team. And that team was not very good. And they're playing a more difficult schedule. Well, I don't actually know if that's true off the top of my head, but. They might actually be, actually, I'd argue they're worse because A.J. Hogarth hasn't been very good. They are more, even more reliant on Tyson Walker. We've talked about this a bunch. I just, I did not think it would look anywhere. I expected them to not look like a top five team in the country from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Never in a million years did I think we'd be talking about four and five. It's like, it's like an ugly four and five. Yeah. It's, it's not like a... Tennessee's four and three because they were the unfortunate team that had to lose twice in Maui and have played a couple other really good teams too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's not that right. I these mean, are, these are avoidable losses that should not have happened for the most part. It's um, 
yeah, this is this isn't quite the same as Duke, but it's it's similar ish. And a lot of the things that were supposed to elevate them just haven't happened. And you know, there's been several compare, you know, a lot of people comparing this Michigan State team to last year's UNC team, which is which is interesting and had some has some interesting conversations in terms of uh. what they were what they could be and then specifically taking away a a stretch four that unlocked as many things as Brady Manick did and how important and Joey, Hauser Joey Hauser actually ended up yeah. being in kind of the um trickle down effect of what not having that guy meant um, okay I'll buy that because there's a very important difference what being the final four run yes Sure. Um, that there was something to, as much as I didn't cling on to it, there was something to point to about North Carolina. This Michigan State team, okay, now, I mean, they came pretty close to making the Final Four, relatively speaking. But they were fine. And you, you've been even more insistent about that than I was. That is an interesting stretch for conversation, though. That I had not really put into conversation. I'll buy that. There's something there. This team was never going to be any good if their freshmen weren't any good. Right. And their freshmen haven't been any good. And now we're, you know, Tom Izzo is talking about the possibility of, you know, he's got Xavier Booker on his roster getting DNP's coach's decision and talking about his son possibly getting minutes at set. So, like, we we can't we can't have a serious conversation about like Michigan State ceiling when and like that was always going to be the thing like if they yeah. were going to be a top five team in the country it was going to have to do like the the guys coming back weren't going to take that big of a jump right that's the other that's the other difference North Carolina was about the guys coming back Michigan State it was about the combination of what was coming back and what could be. So this is this is clearly the surprise and right like you said very as you pointed out astutely it did they need to be a top 5 team like that wouldn't have stunned me if they weren't a top 5 team but being just like a like just a poor basketball team like there's no other way to put it they are poor it is not a good basketball team that's really not something i thought i would be saying especially on december 12th they got to pull it together quickly. I mean, they still Indeed. can, but they're running out of time. Big 12. Death, taxes, and the Big 12 is the best conference in America. That's the case again. This year, they are responsible for six of the top 19 Kempom teams. That's pretty impressive. That's just over. That's just under a third of the teams. Um, and they add, you know, like eight more, you know, four more inside the top 50. Everybody, Every team except one being West Virginia is inside the top 100. And all but three are inside the top 45. What have you been validated by when it comes to the Big 12? I feel like I nailed Kansas. I think you did. I said from the beginning, they're not the best team in the country. They're going to be really good, but not as good as people think. That's basically where they are. I did expect them to probably lose one more of these games in this really difficult stretch of non-conference. So give them credit for that. Cause that was part of my theory about them potentially not getting a one seed is that they would have come out looking worse than they have right now. Cause they're going to have that resume again, where you just go, Oh, look at that. They've won, you know, 28, 29, 30 games. Look at the, look at the strength of schedule. They're going to get a one seed because they've, played a really difficult schedule and won an awful lot of games. They're still in position to do that. But there was a little bit too too much excitement. And as I've mentioned before, this idea that all those pieces just added on top of each other. There were some things to get taken away because of the way they're playing now too and the way they have to implement all these new pieces and the fact that they're just not getting some of the help that they expected as well is factoring into this too. I just... As you mentioned before, nobody's talking about them as the best team in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... I, I think you hit it 
on, I think you hit it on the head. Um, I think we've kind of, uh, we've identified part of that reason as, you know, in years past, Dewan Harris has had the luxury of just being the guy who is a really awesome on-ball defender, a great just like leader on the floor, pass the ball, not make a bunch of mistakes. And this year, that offense is just going to need him to do what he did. Who was that against? Was that against Kentucky, right? In the, in the Champions so. Classic, mm-hmm. where he made like seven of nine threes. The last time I checked, he had more points in that game than the other games he had played combined. That was like, like a week and a half ago, though. So I'm sure that's not the case anymore. But the point is still the same, that, that on some nights, they're just not going to have enough when it's only Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller. And oftentimes, K.J. Adams average, you know, adding another 9 to 12 points kind of in that ballpark. But against good teams on most nights, that's probably not going to be enough uh, for them to to really handle teams. You saw them only score 59 points against Marquette, but on the, the, you know, in the same breath, they have wins over UConn and Tennessee and Kentucky already. So uh, clearly a team that is putting together a resume where they have a number one seed, but kind of falling into that spot where I don't see a ton of people saying, okay, the Jayhawks are the best team, the best team in the country. With that being said, and I think one of the things I've been validated by is that it is is we're going to get to Big 12 play and Kansas, the conversation of Kansas being the best team in the Big 12 and really being like a co-favorite or right there is is something that we're probably going to be talking about. Like the idea of heading into conference play and being skeptical of the Cougars was not something I would have expected. And they've done nothing but ascend to the number one team at Kempom. They're 10 and 0. Uh, you know, having win having wins that are like a few solid ones, but nothing that really jumps off the page. They're gonna play Texas AM on Saturday. That will be a nice uh litmus test for for where Kelvin Sampson's team is. But I um I thought Houston would come in and pretty immediate much immediately be a a a factor in just the conversation of who's going to win this conference. And we are, we are 10 games in we're a month plus and they've done nothing, but pretty much steamroll almost everybody they've played and, and look primed to make a run at a big 12 title in their first year in the conference. That goes nicely with my surprise. So it's okay. If I jump over, Absolutely. Not specifically Baylor, or sorry, Houston. Houston is the least surprising of all these things I'm going to talk about. But what I am surprised by is that the depth might actually be there. I was very much thinking this is not going to look good. Of course, the Big 12 is going to be really good, but that it was not going to look and feel the same. Because of the teams that got added, because you were looking at two teams you felt really good about in Houston and Kansas, and that was it. Everybody else had some question marks. Well, here we go. Baylor is back to being Baylor. Houston is doing exactly what you expect. Kansas is just fine. And then Oklahoma, BYU, and Cincinnati are a combined 24 and 2. Mm-hmm. I don't care who they have or haven't played. They are 24 and 2. That is BYU, the- BYU slide, slotting right into that. Oh, we're just going to send to a top 10 Ken Palm team like all the other Big 12 teams do. Like, we're right. just going to join the conference right and, and fit right in. Right. Yeah. UCF is the only one who really hasn't helped yet. And that was as to be expected. And they're 75th. It's not like, I mean, like the two teams yeah, that been. are like the two teams that are at the very bottom of this conference yeah. and the one in the cellar in terms of Ken Palm and, you know, advanced ratings is Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Yeah. Those are two teams that are there. Those already. are the two worst teams in the conference. Yeah. So, at least so yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, UCF is at 75 is going to be way better than most conferences, you know, everybody else's worst team. So at least from that perspective, if there's anybody dragging the Big 12 down right now, it's not the new teams right. in the Big 12. Right. And so it's not just we have a couple of really good teams and a bunch of good ones. You've got three Final Four caliber teams and some other ones who are off to, we're going to have to see how good they are and whether they can keep it up. You know, it's not like Oklahoma has been beating top teams here. But 
the records the records matter at this point and they're in a position where they could have five six seven really good teams and the bottom of the conference if Oklahoma State and West Virginia pull it together a little bit could be about where it is normally and Iowa State's been pretty good you know you can go down the list Kansas State's been decent I am surprised I did not think the Big 12 is going to look this strong this is this is spot on it's it's somehow taken the depth or just the 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 total number of teams and used it to increase their depth rather than it be a uh, something that right. threatens their depth and you know we'll see how that what that ends up meaning at the end of conference play but so far i mean continues to be the big the, you know the best conference in the country and at least this season the you know i mean and this season being the only year that we're going to have this version of the big 12 it's at least not going to be this year that changes the way we talk about the depth and the night in night out grind that is the big 12 mm-hmm. and the other part of this too is there are only so many non-conference games left mm-hmm. right they can't hurt each other that much if they're beating each other from a conference standpoint you got to do your work in non-conference so that you have the reputation so that when you beat Oklahoma, it's a good win. Or when you lose to Oklahoma, it's not a bad loss. Right. And they've pretty much already achieved it unless something catastrophic happens here before they get into Big 12 play. Yeah. Like, unless things go horribly wrong on Saturday, right? then this is going to be the best conference in the country at Kempom again. Yeah. And it's not particularly close. The gap between the Big 12 and the SEC at two is like bigger than the gap or just as big as the gap from two to six. As so it should be. It is, it's, it's not particularly close at, like at all, which is not something I was expecting, especially based on where we started with Kempom, and that was with the SEC being the best conference preseason at Kempom. At least I'm pretty sure that's how it was. Um but they are they have not missed a stride in very big 12 fashion. Mm-hmm. The Big East. What you got for me? What's been surprising, validating uh through the first month with with the uh the Big East? I'll keep my validation pretty brief. The top three are that good. 25 and 4, no bad losses. Still believe Marquette's one of the two or three best teams in the country. Don't have concerns about the other two. Creighton's loss that was a head-scratcher is not looking like such. I know Colorado State hasn't been perfect now since, but not exactly as much of a head-scratcher now with what Colorado State has done. And it's clearly an outlaw. Like, it's not one of those things that had, like, underlying, like, okay, yeah. this might be something we need to watch out for. Right. It was just, like, a night from hell kind of thing. And a, a team that was able to take advantage of it on the other sure, side. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. But... It's not like oftentimes it's like, oh, Tennessee only scored 45 points. Like, what does this mean? Go like Creighton having the stinker that they did shouldn't mean anything other than they had a stinker on that particular night. Yeah. To me, it's still the best three, three teams out of any conference, even the big 12. Now the difference is the depth behind it, but that is my, my validation. We were both very high in all three of these teams. I was especially high in Marquette. I feel correct in all of that. Yeah, not only are they clearly that good, like they are, like they actually do have like three of the best eight teams in the country, best seven teams in the country, and that's that's where we thought they were going to be. And it's not like they're three of the top eleven, and they're clearly separating themselves from the rest of the Big East. They are they they have their four or five six at Kempon right now, and that that matches the eye test. And at different points this season, maybe not with Creighton necessarily, but at different points this season, I've thought, man, Marquette might might, might be the best team in the country. UConn might be the best team in the country. Um, that's uh, definitely as advertised for for this conference. What surprises you? How bad the rest of the conference has been? <laughs> yeah, I this is. I, I described it as I'm surprised that the middle of the conference is a gauntlet because everybody's really mid and average, not because there are like four or five like 
quality teams here. Yeah. Now, like like Butler might be like the like the fourth or fifth right team in the power rankings, and Butler like has done like they beat Texas. That State is not a compliment. Yeah, that's not a right. like Butler is Butler a team that finished under five hundred last year was higher in the net rankings on December twelfth last year than they are this year, and had a win over Kansas State. So like this is like shouts to my Butler Bulldogs, of course. They are but a much better basketball team. It's a better basketball team for sure. Yeah. But they were supposed to be a better basketball team than people thought and go from like ninth in the conference to like seventh in the conference, not being in the conversation for like the fourth. And and from a from a record perspective, they're absolutely their fourth, fifth right there with Providence because nobody else's record is all that impressive at all. Right. Providence has been fine. Providence has been about as advertised yeah. for me. Got the nothing to hurt them. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament conversation. Kevin English is a good coach. Helped. Yeah, yeah. They, they're doing just fine. That's not the concern here. The con- and having Butler have a good start helps with all these high major wins, even if they're not against the best teams from those conferences. The problem is the St. John's has done very little to be impressive. Villanova can lose to any team in the country on any given night, and Xavier has just been flat out terrible. I can't believe I talked myself into St. John's. I can't believe I did it, Josh. <laughs> I've been there are a few things I've been more steadfast with on this podcast the last six years yeah. than show me St. John's and now, then I'll believe you. Now, 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 what did we say though? We said, I feel like we we're both on the same point. If anybody can fix it, it's Rick Patino. Maybe we were a little bit too too gracious there. It's not like they've been awful. They just haven't. They don't look like a, oh my goodness, here they come. And they don't look like a team that's convinced me in any way, shape, or form that they're going to put together like a conference performance that ends up with them winning 12 times. Like they might because because they beat up, like because they're still probably better than some of these other teams at the bottom. But like it's not the team that could threaten to win like 13 or 14 games that people were trying to convince me that they were. And honestly, that I was starting to believe just a little bit yeah the whole moral of the story here is that those three teams are going to win an awful lot of conference games they are you might like those one of those three teams might have to win like 17 conference games to win this thing outright because how many games actually scare you at villanova no at villanova right now does not scare me well villanova is going to beat you if they shoot 42 percent from three sure but you're also going to beat Villanova if they shoot 32% from three. So that's my, that's my point though, is that you're taking kind of a game of chance as your scariest road game outside of the other two. Yeah. 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 That is it's, it's the makeup of the conference is still the same. It's still these three teams at the top. We thought there was a chance that Villanova could be number four. They're just not, we got that one wrong. And I still have no idea what's going on in the middle of the conference. And I just it's just not in the same way that I thought I wasn't gonna know what's going on in the middle of the conference. Yeah. Still, there are like five teams that can finish fourth. I just don't have any idea which one it is, and it's not because they're all like really good. It's because they all have been pretty, pretty uninspiring. They, you know, they have, you know, right now four, five, six at Kempom. Villanova is still top 30, and then you you drop all the way to 46 and I it I, I find it a little bit hard to believe that that Xavier has managed to maintain their spot inside the top fifty at five and five, with losses to Washington, Oakland, and Delaware. But I'll yeah. let Kim Pomeroy worry about that. Some of those at home. Yes, I believe at least Oakland was at home, and Delaware. And that's it. And Washington and right? and yeah. Washington was on a neutral, so they don't even get the road loss. Yeah. It might have been somewhere in Washington, though. No, it was in Vegas, right? That's where T-Mobile Arena is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in Vegas. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that Kempom ranking right now. Perfect. I got uh, that. Anything else on the biggest? Let's jump to the SEC. Sorry. The SEC. No, the not the SEC. The Pac-12. Pac-12. I always the Pac-12. do that. Don't forget about the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has the number one team in the country. The 8-0 Arizona Wildcats. They are number two at Kempom. Uh, they 
beat the brakes off of Wisconsin in their most recent game. They get probably the game of the year thus far on Saturday, that being against Purdue. That should be an absolute blast. That game at Cambridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis shouts to the Circle City. What say you about the Pac-12? Where have you been validated? Where uh, What has surprised you thus far here in 2023? I'll just throw mine both out there if that's okay. I would love that, Josh. Because it's, bla- it's pretty black and white and cut and dry here. I was correct about trusting the past and not believing things were going to change, continuing the St. John's conversation. Everybody got all excited about USC. They're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. They've been okay, underwhelming. They're just not great. Oregon, I kept saying, I don't know how Colorado is ahead of behind them in the Pac-12 media preseason poll. I feel vindicated in that. They've been fine. I know the injuries are part of it. And Stanford, every year you go, well, on paper, they've got enough talent to make the NCAA tournament. This might be the year. And yeah. That's the thing I got right is I picked those three teams in particular, but just not believing this year is going to be any different because it's playing out very similar to years in the past. What I got wrong, Arizona's ceiling. I did not think they were going to be anything more than a top 10 team. I picked them to win the conference because I didn't trust anybody else. Sure. Which is the part of it I got right. The part of it I got wrong was I did not expect them to be a factor in the national conversation in a real way outside of they're a high major conference champion. And uh, yeah, they've already achieved that part by, you know, taking over the first two months of the season. (laughs) I, I feel validated in the sense of there's something in the water in Eugene, Oregon right now. There's something in the water. I don't know what's going on with Dana Altman's ducks. But the injury bug is there over and over and over again. It's you know it's now a team projected to go eleven and nine in the Pac-12, and despite the fact that they employ the services of a six-foot freshman from Westland, Oregon, and the last time that they did that, it worked out pretty well in the in the <laughs> uh, by a young man by the name of Peyton Pritchard, um, Jackson Jackson Shelstead. Say that five times fast, by the way. Jackson, Jackson I can't Jackson say it Shelstead. once. Jackson, Jackson Shellstat. Yeah. Um, he's he's shooting the ball well. Seven to fifteen from the three point line, sure thing. But he's not Peyton Pritchard. I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I'll 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 table that for now. But Oregon, you know, they're six and two with a loss to Santa Clara and Alabama on a neutral floor. There's just you know they've beat a Michigan team that's like bad at home in overtime probably shouldn't take you that many minutes to beat Michigan at home right now um they played Georgia open the season and like we're better than Georgia but yeah. like that game wasn't in question well mm-hmm. that game was like kind of back and forth for part of the game and I just like and I know that the Pac-12 is going away but a, a part of the reason that the Pac-12 has been so forgettable for me the past few years is because of the lack of Oregon's uh, presence as like one of the top dogs in in the conference. It's you know you you think back to those years where you know Oregon's a three seed, Arizona's a two seed, UCLA's a three seed, Utah's you know excuse Six me you know, right like and and it's just like something's missing there when when Oregon isn't one of the top teams in the conference and they're just like again this year it doesn't really seem to be their fault like Nate Biddle and Volley Dante like they're both dealing with injuries already they have a backcourt that just is never going to be optimal it's just a bunch of guys that kind of feel like they all do the same thing and it's um I don't know it's tough it would have been fun if Oregon would have really been like a crucial part of the top of this conference um and maybe they will maybe they will but at this point not only like not only is Arizona run away with who I think is the top dog in this conference, there hasn't there hasn't been anybody kind of re-sloth themselves in with at the expense of, of USC. UCLA has been pretty forgettable as well, loses to a 
Villanova team that I didn't think they were going to lose to. They've now lost like three close games to the team, good teams that they've played, but have still can, lost them. And can, can we just, talk about that game for a second? The Villanova game? Sure. Did you see what Mick Cronin said? I heard something about what Mick Cronin said. Yeah. Mick Cronin managed to throw ricochet shots at his own players by criticizing Villanova's in a move I have never seen from a coach before. Interesting decision, for sure. He he said, I mean, he's sitting there looking at the, the box score. He goes, Eric Dixon had 10 rebounds tonight. Eric Dixon's not a good athlete. And they said, you know, Burton played four years at Richmond. We can't get rebounds. So he, he criticized Eric Dixon and Tyler Burton as a means to criticize his own players by saying, you have to be better than these guys. It's mm-hmm. Villanova for crying out loud. Yeah. I understand Tyler Burton hasn't been there very long. But Eric Dixon has been a fine Big East player. I, bizarre. Eric Dixon has been a very good Big East yeah. player. Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting decision by, by, by Mick there. Interesting. Anything else on the Pac-12 here? Nope. Just wanted to get that out there. Let's wrap it up with the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. Tennessee, six and three. We talked about them a little bit. That six and three, still ninth at Kempom. Their losses are Purdue by four, Kansas by nine, and North Carolina by eight in one of North Carolina's best offensive performances of the last decade. Um, certainly nothing. They just got a quality win at home against Illinois. They are ninth at Kempom, still two team, two other teams inside the top 15 at Kempom, that being Auburn and Alabama. What's, uh, what have you confirmed thus far when it comes to, uh, those playing in the Southeast corner of the United States? We're just going to take it a completely different direction. I kind of like to talk about the teams that I said had a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. The one in the SEC was Ole Miss. <laughs> I think we both kind of said, there's enough talent here. Don't, however you feel about Chris Beard, don't bet against him as a coach. Mm-hmm. I had them as my most intriguing team. Yeah. You absolutely, yeah, you absolutely could claim this one as your validation as well. They beat Memphis, UCF, and NC State. Now, they've managed to drop in Ken Palm because they had a bunch of really close wins against teams they should have probably beaten by more. However, Yeah, they beat Detroit Mercy, Sam Houston State, and Temple yeah. by a combined five points. Yeah, it, it is truly impressive how many close games they played at the beginning. Yeah. And they only beat I Mount St. Mary's by nine. Yeah. I would care a lot more if this wasn't a new coach and you weren't bringing in some new players. Mm-hmm. That this team just hasn't is not used to Chris Beard and hasn't been around each other that much. So if it takes a little bit longer to figure out how to play together and to to hit your stride, picking up a bunch of wins along the way isn't the worst thing in the world. Not at all. I I'm still in on this team. I expect this to carry over into SEC play. It's not like they're struggling against the best teams they're playing on their schedule. Again, it's not like these are the best teams in the country. But I I will give them a pass on some shaky performances against teams they should have handled because I, they have risen to the occasion with the best teams they've played. I expect that to continue to be the case once we get to conference play. Trivia time. What's Reed Shepard's three-point shooting percentage right now? 42%? 59%. Really? He is 23 of 39. What's more ridiculous, that he's 23 of 39, or is that he's seventh in the country? That there are six players shooting better than he is. That's crazy. Yeah, I'll, go, I'll go with the latter. Um, that's actually, that's, that's actually, that's insane. I might have to look up who's, who's ahead of him while you're talking next. But my validation is that Kentucky, this was the team I was the most excited for, and they are a circus and a train wreck at times, and terrifying at times and obviously all like under the legal drinking age by like 11 years and they are 
they are just fascinating to try and figure out. There'll be times where they look like the better team on the floor against Kansas, and then they'll turn around and lose to UNC Wilmington at home. They'll beat Miami, Florida by 22. They'll need overtime to beat St. Joseph's. It is, it is an absolute zoo in Lexington right now. And it is exactly what I was hoping for. And I, I, it looks like a team that has a bunch of freshmen on it and you have no idea which version of those freshmen uh, apart from national player of the year, Reed Shepard. You're not sure what version you're going to get on any given night. It's truly a treat and I am completely validated by their performance thus far. There you go. And if we get to, and I said, and like, this is exactly where I thought it was going to be. Um, I they could lose to like Louisville and Illinois State in back to back games. I wouldn't be stunned. And yeah. at the end of the year, if you told me that like everyone's terrified of them and they're a trendy pick to go to the Elite Eight, yep, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still am very much holding out for the possibility that it's a final four team. I have not dropped my confidence in their ceiling one bit. The question is whether they're ever going to reach that ceiling. That's where Correct. my confidence has dropped. Correct. So. Uh, I think they're fascinating uh, and val- very validated by that heading into the season. What surprised you? The A-team. Okay, all right, all right. Listen to me. Why is Kim Pomeroy? Because according to the NCAA men's basketball stats page, Reed Shepard is number one in the country in three-point shooting percentage. So I don't understand here, Ken Pomeroy. How is, the, how is he seventh on your site? Maybe there That's are good. six guys that... Not Don't. qualified. Yeah, I guess. But so, you also explain how you're shooting 60 plus percent from three. So here's your um yeah. Now there are there are five there are eight guys in the country shooting 50% or better. Isaac McNeely at Virginia is 25 of 43 from the three-point line. Tip it. Trent Brown, Southern Illinois, one Kylan Boswell from Arizona. 21 of 40 proposition 21 of 40 from the three-point line that's a man right there uh wooga poplar miami 23 of 44 sam griffin wyoming mark sears which has to have a lot to do with the performance he put together yeah. to do yeah. <laughs> a couple days ago but there you go there's the top five according to the nca.com uh reed shepherd number one in the country anyways what surprises you about the SEC? The A teams. The A teams. Yeah, Alabama and Arkansas. Oh, like not the A list teams, like not no, the teams no. at the top of the the A teams. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. At least they're playing people. I mean, their signature wins are Duke and Oregon. Mm-hmm. So really, what this is about is they're what I am most shocked by is their absolute inability to beat really good teams either because Duke excused themselves from that conversation or because Alabama shoots the lights out in the first half and then Purdue comes back and takes care of business because both of these teams now Alabama more in the regular season, Arkansas more in the NCAA tournament, but they've been two of those teams, right? Where awful talented. It doesn't necessarily come together for a consistent season. Although Alabama had a very consistent one last year. But you know, even when they're not the Alabama of last season, on any given day, they can go beat anybody in the country. And they just don't look like they can beat anybody in the country right now. That's the most surprising part of this to me. Dalton Connect completely changes Tennessee's ceiling. That is surprising to me. Um, that was the other one I was thinking about. I'm I, I am not, I'm not, I'm certainly not surprised at this point right yeah. i've seen, we've seen it all season at this point but one of the things that i had on my notes when we did the sec preview was am i going to be impressed by anybody in this conference on february 1st like am i going to be truly impressed or is tennessee going to kind of be the same thing that they always are is arkansas's like kind of miss you know mitch m- i don't even know i just i don't Meh. even know which word is 
because Arkansas, like this miss this this combination of guards all over the place, but there's no Anthony Black, there's no Jordan Walsh. Like, are they gonna be good at anything, like really elite at anything, or am I just gonna kind of be like, eh? Um, I'm very eh about Arkansas. Um, Kentucky, we talked about like all these teams that could be the best team in the conference that had a chance to be the best team in the conference. Was I going to be super impressed by them? I'm not totally sure I would say that I'm really, really impressed by Tennessee, but what I have, what has changed when it comes to Tennessee, and I specifically said, does Tennessee show me, this was all my notes, does Tennessee, Tennessee show me something offensively that they didn't have last year? Is Dalton Connect really going to change everything? And the answer is yes. Yeah, Dalton Connect really does change everything from a the type of game that they can win in the NCAA tournament from a how high is their floor from a if all else fails, can Dalton Connect carry you to a round of 32 victory or a sweet 16 victory? The answer to all of those questions is yes. And, and just the way the teams have to guard them in general. Too. Sure, sure. But sometimes their offense just like it doesn't matter if it's harder to guard them than it right. used to be. They still can't hit the broadside of a barn, but he connect absolutely changes all of those things. And I am surprised just how obvious it is at this point. Um, because I'm completely like, if they lose a game in the NCAA tournament because they only score 53 points, like, I guess I won't be stunned because it's Tennessee, but I will be pretty surprised because I think right now, what they're communicating is we can win in different ways and we're going to make you score more than 56 points to beat us in the tournament. Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add. We talked about this. I'm very stubborn in terms of changing my tune about teams. Hence what I said about the Pac-12 and being skeptical of the USC's and Oregon's of the world. But when that thing happens, you have to identify it and you have to change your thinking. It was Virginia's offense when they won the national championship. It is Dalton Connect. Yeah. This is, you cannot take this Tennessee team and compare them to Tennessee teams of years past because they are fundamentally a different team and they are a more multidimensional, more versatile team that makes them harder to beat over an extended period of time. Maybe they are a little bit better. Maybe this is Rick Barnes' best team. It's probably not because that other, the Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, the Grant Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield team was awesome. But which team is the most dangerous in March? Without a doubt, it's this one because fundamentally the makeup of their roster and the way that they can win games has changed. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how much I agree with you. I can't begin to tell you anything else in the SEC. Do we need to validate anything else that doesn't quite fit in any of these categories? Anything else before we get out of here? The other thing I'll throw out there, we both just kind of went, this might be the year. St. Mary's is a top 15 team. And they need to be put into the category with the Dukes and Michigan States of the world in a, what is going on? How is this happening? How are they this much worse than everybody thought very disappointing so far maybe they pull it together but this is uh still gonzaga's conference in case anybody was wondering hey maybe this is the uh maybe i mean they just beat they beat colorado state on the road maybe this is the maybe this is the the game that turns it around but what we've seen through 10 games i'd be surprised could just take one and they have a really good conference showing and they're one of those teams you don't want to play in March. Yep. But they got a lot of rebuilding trust to do to get to that point. I'm just disappointed that the entire country isn't in love with Aiden Mahaney at this point. That's really yep. what I'm sad about. Everybody else, everybody's missing out on on Aiden Mahaney because they're not any good. There's no reason to talk about him. So that's that's personal though. All right, Josh, anything else? Looking forward to Saturday. We'll have a nice recap pod. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be good. It has the potential to be like the best Saturday until we get to like round of 32 Saturday uh, of the entire regular season. Definitely has the potential to be the best regular season day 
of the entire year, but we shall see. We shall see for sure. And like Josh said, we will come, we will congregate to talk about that day mostly on Sunday. So that'll be another longer pod. And then Monday we'll get back into the uh, daily stuff as we get into the thick of conference play. So we will meet you back here on Wednesday, excuse me, not Wednesday on Sunday and uh, take care of yourselves until then, please. Subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast, the Under 8 podcast uh, on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find all of those things several different places. Uh, we very appreci- much appreciate it if you would do that. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.